I would like to dedicate this book to Lucas. Magic Treehouse number 43, A Merlin Mission, Leprechaun in Late Winter by Mary Pope Osborne. Chapter 1, A Beautiful Word. It was a chilly afternoon in late winter. Annie was doing her homework on the computer in the living room. Jack sat on the couch and stared at a blank page in his small notebook. He heaved a sigh. What's wrong? said Annie. I have to write a story for school, said Jack, and I'm stuck. Well, you'd better get unstuck, said Annie. Mom and Dad said we have to get our homework done before we go to the theater with them tonight. I know, said Jack, but I can't think of anything to write about. Why don't you do what you love to do, said Annie. Go outside and write down some facts about what you see, then turn them into a story. Hey, that's a good idea, said Jack. Thanks. He jumped up and grabbed his coat from the hall closet. Then, taking his pencil and notebook with him, he headed outdoors. The early March weather was sunny but cold and windy. Jack looked around. Then he wrote down some facts in his notebook. Old snow and yard, sun sparkling on sidewalk. Jack looked up again. Treetops swayed in the March winds. Jack started to write about them, but when he looked down at his notebook, he nearly dropped his pencil. On the page were two large, fancy letters, T-K. Oh, man, whispered Jack. He dashed back in the house and into the living room. Annie, look. Jack held up his notebook. Look at this. Annie stared at the page. Old snow, sun sparkling. Nice. No, not that, said Jack. The letters. Annie looked at Jack like he was a little crazy. Uh, what letters, she said. Jack looked back at the page. They're gone, he said. A big fancy T and K. T and K, said Annie. Yes, for Teddy and Kathleen, said Jack. The letters just appeared on the page when I was outside. They were there, really. I believe you, said Annie. She jumped up from the computer. Let's go. Wait, I have to get my backpack from upstairs, said Jack. Forget it. Come on. The treehouse must be waiting for us, said Annie. Okay, okay, said Jack. He quickly shoved his notebook and pencil into a pocket of his coat. Annie grabbed her jacket. Mom, Dad, we're going to take a little break from our homework, she called. Okay, but make it short. We have to leave for the theater by 7, their dad called from the kitchen. We will, said Jack. Jack and Annie headed outside. They ran over the melting snow in their front yard and up the sun-sparkling sidewalk. They charged across the street and into the Frog Creek woods. They hurried between the wind-blown trees until they came to the tallest oak. High in the branches was the magic treehouse. Their friends from Camelot, Teddy and Kathleen, were looking out the window. Hello, called Kathleen. Hi, shouted Annie, waving. Good trick with the magic letters, Jack called. We thought you'd like that, said Teddy. I just learned how to do it. Annie grabbed the rope ladder and started up. Jack followed her. They climbed into the treehouse and hugged the young enchanters. So what's up today? asked Jack. Where does Merlin want us to go now? asked Annie. Merlin wants you to go to Galloway, Ireland, said Kathleen. Ireland? Cool, said Annie. Morgan sent us to Ireland once before, to the ninth century, said Jack. Yes. Well, this time you will go to Ireland in the 19th century, 
said Teddy, to 1862, to be exact. Your mission is to find an imaginative and creative girl named Augusta. Augusta doesn't know yet what her talents are, said Kathleen. She lives in a time when it is not easy for girls to explore their creativity. Your mission will be to inspire her so she can give her gifts to the world. What does that word mean exactly? asked Annie. Inspire. Tis a beautiful word, said Kathleen, her sea blue eyes shining. It means to breathe life into a person's heart, to make her feel joyful to be alive. That is beautiful, said Annie. You may need some magic to help you, said Teddy. From the corner of the treehouse, he picked up the magic trumpet that had helped them on their last journey. Only this time, Teddy handed the trumpet to Kathleen. She held the shiny brass instrument for a moment, then she tossed it into the air. The trumpet spun like a whirlwind. There was a flash of blue light, and the trumpet was gone. In its place was a thin silver pipe with six holes. What's that? breathed Jack. An Irish whistle, said Kathleen. She plucked the instrument from the air. When you face great danger, one of you must play it. It will make magical music and anything the other one sings will come true. But remember, said Teddy, its magic will work only once. Right, said Annie. Thanks, said Jack. He took the Irish whistle from Kathleen and put it into his pocket. And did Morgan send a research book to give us information? Not this time, said Teddy. Morgan wants you to draw upon your own experiences in life to help you on this journey. No problem, said Annie. Jack wasn't sure about that. He liked having a book of facts to help them. So how do we find Augusta, said Annie. It should be easy to find her, said Teddy. When you land in the county of Galway, Ireland, just ask anyone for directions to the big house. Hold on. Jack pulled out his notebook and wrote, County of Galway, Ireland, Augusta, big house. Got it, said Jack. But how do we get to Ireland in the first place if we don't have a research book? Point to the notes you just made and make your wish, said Kathleen. And when you are ready to come home, said Teddy, use the Pennsylvania book as you usually do. Got it, said Jack. Go now and help Augusta, said Kathleen. She needs you. Jack pointed to the words Galway, Ireland in his notebook. I wish we could go there, he said. Bye, Annie said to Teddy and Kathleen. Farewell, said Kathleen. Good luck, said Teddy. The wind started to blow. The treehouse started to spin. It spun faster and faster. Then everything was still. Absolutely still. Chapter 2, The Big House A cold wind blew rain into the treehouse. Jack shivered. He was wearing an old overcoat and ragged trousers. Annie wore a scarf, a shawl, and a long red wool dress. They both wore scuffed, worn boots. So where are we, said Jack. He and Annie looked out the window. The treehouse had landed in a tree at the edge of a green meadow dotted with woolly white sheep. Next to the meadow was a narrow lane. It ran uphill between low stone walls. Through the drizzle, Jack could see mist-covered mountains in the distance and a flash of silver sea. It looks like a scene in a fairy tale, said Annie. Yeah, a fairy tale with bad weather, said Jack. I wonder where the big house is, said Annie. I don't know, but I'd like to get inside it now, said Jack. Me too, said Annie, shivering. Let's go. Jack crammed his cold hands into the pockets of his torn coat. 
In one pocket, he felt his notebook and pencil. In the other, he felt the Irish whistle. I've got the whistle, he said. Good, said Annie. She held her red skirt and started down the rope ladder. Jack climbed down after her. Annie pulled her shawl tightly around her shoulders. Jack turned up the collar of his coat. As they tramped through the wet meadow, he felt cold water seeping through holes in his boots. Jack and Annie climbed over a stone wall onto the muddy lane. A horse-drawn wagon was rattling toward them down the hill. The wagon was filled with squealing pigs. Excuse me, Annie called to the driver. Can you tell us where the big house is? An old man with a tired, rugged face pointed back up the hill. Thanks, said Jack. The large wooden wheels of the wagon rumbled past, splashing Jack and Annie with mud. Yuck, said Annie. Now we're cold and wet and dirty, said Jack. Yeah, we're going to look great when we get to the big house, said Annie. So what do we do when we get there, asked Jack. When we find Augusta, maybe we tell her that Teddy and Kathleen sent us, said Annie, like we told Louis Armstrong in New Orleans. Just thinking about their adventure with Louis Armstrong made Jack smile. I don't know if that will work, he said. His world seems so different from this world. There it was so noisy and busy. Here, it feels lonely. Well, we won't know until we find Augusta, said Annie. Let's go. Jack and Annie lowered their heads. They plodded up the lane, sloshing in and out of giant puddles. When they reached the top of the hill, they stopped. The muddy lane wound down, past more sheep meadows and some cottages, past the long stable and several barns. At the end of the lane was a large open gate that led onto the grounds of a white mansion. Gray smoke rose from the mansion's chimneys. The big house, said Annie. Maybe the people who live there will invite us inside to get warm and dry by a fire, said Jack. Jack and Annie started down the lane. As they passed the sheep meadows, black and white dogs barked at them. When they walked by several boys hauling wet hay, the workers looked up and eyed them suspiciously. Jack was relieved to get to the gate and head toward the big house. When they reached the front door, Annie lifted the heavy knocker and let it drop. A moment later, the door opened. A pale teenage girl looked out. Who are you? Why are you here? Oh, uh, well, started Jack. Are you the ones the butler sent for? The girl asked. The butler, said Jack. Yes, we are, said Annie. Then you should go around to the back, the girl said. Before Jack and Annie could ask for Augusta, the girl slammed the door in their faces. Nice, said Jack. I hope she wasn't Augusta, said Annie. Why did you tell her yes, asked Jack. It's a way to get inside the big house, said Annie. Come on. Jack and Annie tramped through the mud to the back of the mansion. They stopped at a door beneath a large smoking chimney. Annie knocked again. This time, a young red-haired girl in a cap and apron opened the door. Yes, she said. Is your name? Started Annie. Who is it, Molly? Someone called from inside. Molly? So she's not Augusta, thought Jack. Who are you? Molly asked him. We're the ones the butler sent for, said Annie. You? Said Molly. She looked doubtful. Well, come in and see him then. Jack and Annie stepped inside. He's in the kitchen, said Molly. She started down the hall. Jack and Annie followed Molly to the doorway of a dimly lit kitchen. The kitchen smelled of fish and onions. Pots and pans hung from a long rack over a big wooden table. A stout, older woman was bent over the table, rolling out dough. Cook, 
Here are the ones the butler sent for, said Molly. The cook looked up from her dough and squinted at Jack and Annie. You're the ones he sent for, she said. Uh, yes, ma'am, that's us, said Annie. The cook turned toward the fireplace. Next to the fire, an ancient-looking man with white whiskers sat slumped in a chair, snoring. Mr. O'Leary, the old man jerked and opened his eyes. The ones you sent for are here, the cook shouted, as if the man were hard of hearing. The groggy, groggy butler peered at Jack and Annie. I sent for you, he growled. Not possible. I sent for a coach driver and a blacksmith. Really, said Annie. I guess there was a mistake, but maybe there were some other jobs we could do around here. Well, what are you good for, asked the butler. What do you mean, said Jack. Do you know how to sweep the inside of a chimney, said the old man. Um, no, said Jack. Pluck a chicken, the cook asked. No way, said Annie. What about rats, the butler said. What about them, asked Jack. They're all over the cellar, said the cook. Can you catch them? I, I don't think so, said Jack. Then you're no good to us here, snorted the butler. Be on your way. At that moment, Jack heard the back door open and shut. A girl about Jack's age stepped into the kitchen. She wore a red cape and carried two large, empty baskets. Her wet hair was parted neatly down the middle and pulled into a tight bun in the back. Ah, said the cook. Welcome back, Miss Augusta. Chapter 3, Miss Augusta. Jack and Annie looked at each other. Augusta! The girl put down her baskets and took off her wet cape. Did you deliver your cakes to the poor, Miss Augusta? asked Molly. Yes, Molly, said Augusta. I visited seven cottages today. Seven in this weather? You're an angel, Miss Augusta, said Molly, always so kind to the poor. It is my duty, Molly, the girl said, to help those less fortunate than myself. Her gaze rested on Jack and Annie. And who are these poor children? They're looking for work, Miss, said the cook, but I'm afraid they're sorry creatures, not good for anything. I was just sending them away. Oh, surely we must not turn them out so quickly, cook, said Augusta. How tired and miserable they look. Jack didn't think they looked that bad. We are tired and miserable, Annie said. Her voice sounded sad. Her shoulders sagged. Oh, brother, Jack thought. Annie was really acting her part. My poor dears, you must both come into the parlor and rest a bit, said Augusta. We would like that, Annie said pitifully. Follow me, said Augusta. Miss Augusta, surely you're not taking those dirty children into the parlor, said the cook. We must always be kind to the poor cook, no matter how dirty they are, said Augusta. We should give them something to drink if they are thirsty and something to eat if they are hungry. You are too kind, Miss Augusta, said Molly, shaking her head. Well, at least make them take off their filthy boots, said the cook. Jack and Annie pulled off their boots and socks and set them by the door. Their feet were red and raw-looking. Augusta took two peeled potatoes from a bowl and put them in her pocket. Then she picked up a lit candle from the hearth. Come, let me take you to the parlor, she said to Jack and Annie. Thanks, Augusta, said Annie. Show some respect, the cook called after Annie. Call her Miss Augusta. Sorry, said Annie. Thanks, Miss Augusta. Jack rolled his eyes. Why should he call her Miss? Augusta didn't look like she was any older than he was. Holding her flickering candle, Augusta led Jack and Annie out of the kitchen. 
The wooden floor creaked as they walked barefoot through a narrow hallway. How are we ever going to inspire this strange, serious girl? Wondered Jack. She acts as if she's already a grown-up and treats Annie and me like babies. We'll sit in here, children, said Augusta. She directed Jack and Annie into a large room with heavy curtains and dark furniture. The pale teenage girl who answered the front door sat on a sofa, knitting. Another teenage girl knitted beside her. They scowled when they saw Jack and Annie. What are you doing, Augusta? asked the pale girl. Why are you bringing these two into the parlor? I invited them to tea, Gertrude, said Augusta. She turned to Jack and Annie. Pay no attention to my sisters, she said. Please, sit down. Augusta, have you gone mad, said Gertrude. You cannot invite these two ragamuffins to sit in here. Mother will be furious, said Augusta's other sister. They're filthy. They're not even wearing shoes. Jack looked down at his muddy clothes and cold red feet. Cook made them remove their muddy shoes in the kitchen, Eliza, Augusta said. I only wish I had nice dry shoes to give them. Sit down, children, she said to Jack and Annie again. Jack and Annie slowly sat down. You're going to get into trouble, Augusta, said Gertrude. Mother will never approve, said Eliza. Both sisters shook their heads as they went back to their knitting. Augusta ignored her sisters and walked to a silver teapot on a sideboard. Would you like some hot tea, my poor dears? She asked Jack and Annie. Yes, Miss Augusta, said Annie. Jack nodded. Hot tea sounded good. He still felt chilled from the cold wind and rain. There was a fireplace in the dreary parlor, but no fire was lit. Everything in the room seemed dark and gloomy, except for a few books on a table. As Augusta poured tea into fancy china cups, Jack leaned closer to get a look at the books. One was titled, The Plays of William Shakespeare. Another was called, The Tales of King Arthur. Jack smiled to himself. Seeing those book titles made him feel a little more comfortable. Augusta carried cups of tea to Jack and Annie. Then she pulled the potatoes out of her pocket and gave one to each of them. Thank you, Miss Augusta, said Annie. Jack took a sip of tea, but it was too bitter and hot to drink. He took a bite of his cold potato, but it was too hard to chew. So, Miss Augusta, what do you like to do around here? Annie asked. What inspires you? Augusta looked puzzled. I do not know what you mean, she said. What about reading books, said Jack. Have you read those books? He pointed to the tales of King Arthur and the plays of William Shakespeare. Those books belong to my brothers, said Augusta. The time has not come for Augusta to read such books, said her sister Gertrude. Not until she is older, said her sister Eliza. Why? asked Jack. Mother says the tales of King Arthur and the plays of Shakespeare are not for young ladies, said Augusta. Really? said Jack. Yes, but I'm afraid I sometimes peek at my brother's books, Augusta said to Jack and Annie in a lower voice. I love stories. I remember every story I read or hear. I love stories too, said Annie, and I love books. The two older sisters smiled. Keep striving, my dear, said Eliza. Perhaps one day you will learn to read. I already know how to read, said Annie. Jack and I read lots of books. She pointed to the books on the table. In fact, we know tons about King Arthur, and we go see plays by Shakespeare with our parents. And one time, we even acted in a play by Shakespeare, A Midsummer Night's Dream. It was at our school, Jack broke in, before Annie could tell them that she and Jack had actually met Shakespeare himself. 
A Midsummer's Night's Dream, said Augusta. She looked surprised. Don't listen to them, Augusta, said Gertrude. I doubt these children have ever been to school, much less acted in a play by William Shakespeare. I suspect you were quite right, Gertrude, someone said. A tall woman was standing in the doorway of the parlor. She wore a long black velvet dress and stood very straight. There was an icy look on her face as she stared at Jack and Annie. Oh, mother, said Eliza. Chapter four, what are you good for? Hi there, Annie said cheerfully. Augusta's mother did not reply. She was staring at Jack's bare feet. Her expression made him sink down in his chair. Do not blame Eliza or me, mother, said Gertrude. These are Augusta's friends, not ours. I took pity on them, mother, said Augusta. They were wet and miserable. Her mother finally smiled. Yes, daughter, I imagine they were. It's very nice to have pity for the poor, but dirty children should not be sitting in our parlor. They were hungry, mother, said Augusta. Yes, and I see you have given them food, said her mother. So it is time to take them out of the house now. Jack and Annie stood up. Jack was happy to leave. He felt like Augusta and her mother were talking about stray dogs or cats. But Augusta sat very still and just stared at her mother. Go on, get them out of here, Augusta, said Gertrude. They are not clean. They might even have bugs in their hair. The mere mention of bugs made Jack's scalp itch. He and Annie both scratched their heads. See, said Gertrude, Augusta, her mother said in a stern voice. Oh, all right, all right said Augusta, standing up. I was trying to be kind. Come with me, please, she said to Jack and Annie. I'll lead you down the lane a bit, at least past the sheepdogs. As Augusta started out of the room, her mother stopped her and pinched her shoulders. Carry yourself straight, daughter, she said. Jack couldn't imagine how the girl could carry herself any straighter. Augusta led Jack and Annie back down the dark hallway, through the fish-smelling kitchen, past the ancient butler sleeping by the fire, and the three kitchen maids and the cook. Without a word, she grabbed her red cape and pulled it around her. "'Where are you going, Miss Augusta?' asked Molly. "'I have been ordered to send these poor children back out into the storm,' Augusta said. Jack and Annie forced their feet into their stiff, wet socks and boots." Augusta held the door for them, then followed them outside, slamming the door shut behind her. Even though it was still rainy and windy, Jack felt much happier outside the big house than inside it. He and Annie followed Augusta past the gates and out to the lane. Augusta walked stiffly, leading them like a mother duck. What are we going to do about her? Annie whispered to Jack. I don't know, whispered Jack. She doesn't seem very creative or imaginative to me. Well, we have to inspire her. Come on, said Annie. She and Jack hurried to catch up with Augusta. Miss Augusta, said Annie, walking alongside her. Do you like to sing, dance, paint, play a musical instrument? Anything creative like that? No, said Augusta. She sounded angry. Jack figured she must be mad at her mother for kicking them out of the big house. Well, what about nature, said Annie. What about it? asked Augusta. Walking in the woods, said Annie. Trees, birds, does anything like that inspire you? Not anymore. I was close to nature once, Augusta said. I used to roam the woods with my younger brothers. They said I was like a robin with the eye of a hawk. 
I knew where to find the caves of the otters. I knew where to find the nest of wild birds. That's so cool, said Annie. I knew where the deer lay down to sleep, said Augusta. I knew the names of every tree, oak, beech, elm, hazel, larch, pine. Augusta's voice grew a little wobbly, as if she might cry. But I'm not allowed to roam the woods with, with my brothers anymore. Mother says it's not proper for a young lady. That's so sad, said Annie. Never mind, said Augusta, lifting her chin. Let us not talk about me anymore. Let us try instead to help the two of you. Cook said you were not good for anything. Why would she say that? They asked us if we were good for cleaning chimneys, plucking chickens, or catching rats, said Annie, and we said no. Then you must find other ways to make yourselves useful, said Augusta, or you will never find your way in the world. Can you shear sheep? We've never tried it, said Jack. Milk cows, churn butter, weave a shawl, Augusta asked impatiently. Hunt rabbits with hounds? Oh, never that, said Annie. Jack laughed. Augusta frowned. This is nothing to laugh about. Every day you must ask yourselves, what am I good for? Actually, that was a good question, Jack thought. What was he good for? And I would like to give you a further piece of advice, said Augusta. Never make up stories about yourselves that aren't true. What do you mean, said Jack? You never acted in a play of Shakespeare's, did you? Tell the truth now, said Augusta. We did, said Jack. My sister was telling the truth. We were both in a Midsummer's Night's Dream. We played wood fairies, said Annie. We had green costumes, and Jack gave a little speech, and I danced and sang. Augusta shook her head. You poor dears, she said. I know you only make up these wild stories because your real lives are so miserable, but wait a minute. Stop, said Jack. What's wrong with you? Why do you act so snobby? Snobby? Me? Augusta looked confused. Jack, said Annie. No, I'm serious, Jack said to Annie. She thinks she's better than us. No, I don't, Augusta said, stunned. I'm not like that at all. Each day I walk several miles to town to give cakes and clothes to poor children like yourselves. That's nice, said Jack, but you think you're better than those poor children, don't you? You'd never want to be real friends with them, would you? What you say about me is not true, Augusta said to Jack. I love the poor. Why, my favorite friend in all the world is quite poor and has never been to school. Some say she's even a little cracked in the head, but I love her dearly. Who's that? asked Annie. Mary, Mary Sheridan, our old nursemaid, said Augusta. I'll take you to meet her. Mary will tell you the truth about me. Come along. Augusta ran from the lane and across the muddy grass, her red cape flying in the wind. Um, I don't think you'd inspire, you inspired her, Annie said. I know, I'm sorry, said Jack. I just couldn't take her attitude any longer. Well, get over it, said Annie. We're supposed to help her, not annoy her. She was annoying me, said Jack. Yeah, I know, said Annie, me too. But we've got a mission, come on. Jack and Annie followed Augusta across the grass to a small white cottage with a straw roof. Augusta banged on the door, scaring away birds eating crumbs by the front steps. Mary, Mary, it's me, Augusta, she called. Come in, my dear, a voice answered. Augusta lifted the latch and led Jack and Annie inside. 
Wrapped in a brown shawl, Mary Sheridan was stroking an orange cat by an open fire. She had ragged white hair and bright blue eyes. Her crooked smile revealed a few missing teeth. One in twenty welcomes on this wonderful winter day, said the old woman. Chapter 5, A Fireside Tale Hello, Mary, said Augusta. She kissed the old woman on her wrinkled cheek. With the firelight on her face, Mary seemed to glow. Her warm, snug cottage was the opposite of the big house. It smelled of damp leaves and moss, bread and chocolate. Firelight danced on the earthen floor and stone walls. Rain dripped through the roof, pinging into a couple of tin buckets. And who do we have here, Miss Augusta? Mary asked. Two poor children from town, said Augusta. I want you to tell them about me, how I truly love the poor and try to help them. Mary smiled. Please, sit down first, she said. Jack, Annie, and Augusta sat down on three rickety wooden chairs. Would you children like some hot cocoa? Mary asked. Jack and Annie nodded eagerly. Yes, please, Mary, said Augusta. But would you tell them? Yes, I will tell them all about you, said Mary. She picked up a pot sitting on the hearth. She poured steaming cocoa into three mugs and handed them to Jack, Annie, and Augusta. The cocoa smelled delicious. Jack took a sip and licked his lips. Yum, he said. His insides felt warm for the first time all day. Now, Mary, asked Augusta. In time, my child, Mary said to Augusta. Tell me, what have you been doing today? I delivered cakes in town, Augusta said proudly. Then I found these poor children in our kitchen looking for work. I've tried to help them, but they say I am snobby. I brought them here so you could tell them the truth about me. Ah, I see, Miss Augusta. How did you try to help them? said Mary. I've tried to discover what they are good for, said Augusta, but it appears they are good for nothing. Really? Mary fixed her twinkling eyes on Jack and Annie. Well, let us start with this, children. Tell me something you like to do. No, wait. What do you love to do? Uh, well, I love to read, said Jack. And write, said Annie. Read and write? said Augusta. I don't think so. Mary ignored Augusta and kept looking at Jack and Annie. What do you like to read and write? asked Mary. Facts mostly, said Jack. True stories. Jack writes down facts all the time, said Annie. Honestly, Mary, said Augusta. Soon they'll be telling you that they are actors too and have performed in a play by William Shakespeare. Can we talk about me now? Actually, that's true, Jack said to Mary. We were in a Midsummer Night's Dream. Annie and I were fairies. I had stage fright, but Will, William Shakespeare Spear himself, said Annie. He helped me get over it, said Jack. He looked straight at Augusta. Augusta rolled her eyes. Will was so nice, said Annie. And smart, said Jack. Of course he was, said Mary. You can tell that from his stories. Oh, please stop. Don't tell Mary those ridiculous things, Augusta said. What about me, Mary? Wait, child, I have a question for them, Mary said. She leaned forward and spoke in a whisper. Where is summer? Can you answer me that? Mary's question doesn't make sense, Jack thought. I don't know. Do you know where summer is, Mary? asked Annie. Summer is hiding with the she, said Mary, laughing. The she? What's that? said Annie. Surely you must know the she, said Mary. That's what we Irish call our fairies. 
In the winter, the she steal all the warmth and sunshine, leaving us to suffer with the cold and rain. Annie laughed too. So you've played the parts of fairies in a play by Shakespeare, said Mary. They're just like our she. Have you seen the she here in Ireland? Mary, Augustus said impatiently. Not yet, said Annie. That's a shame, said Mary. I have seen them. This is a true story. She looked at Jack and smiled with facts. You might want to write them down. Oh, sure, said Jack. He pulled his notebook and pencil out of his pocket. Augusta looked surprised. Annie leaned close to Jack and Annie. Her eyes were shining and her voice was hushed. One day long ago, a lonely young girl took a walk in an old forest, said Mary. All was still until joyful music began coming from a hidden world. Jack loved Mary's way of telling a story. He wrote down, old forest, all still, joyful music, hidden world. Augusta frowned. So I guess you can write, she muttered. Suddenly, there came a spinning wind, said Mary, and a cloud so bright and a beam of light poured over a river. Jack quickly wrote, spinning wind, bright cloud, beam of light, river. Then they came, rumbling and thundering, exclaimed Mary. Mary, said Augusta. She sounded impatient. But Mary kept talking, some with wings, some on horses of white, queens and kings, in robes and gowns, the colors of summer, fall, winter, and spring. Jack wrote, some with wings, white horses, queens, kings. They galloped in a circle, a blinding swirl, said Mary. They swept up that lonely girl and carried her across the river to their secret hollow hill. Had she gone inside, she would have become very small and seen many wondrous sights. Jack wrote, Take Lonely Girl, Hollow Hill of She, Wondrous Sights. Jack looked up from his notebook, waiting for Mary to go on. When she spoke again, her voice was very soft. But the girl grew afraid and ran home instead. Mary sat back in her chair and closed her eyes. The only sound in the cottage was the crackling of the fire and the pinging of rain into the tin buckets. Mary, Annie said softly, are you the girl in the story? Mary opened her eyes. I will never tell, she said. Oh, Mary, said Augusta, such tales. She turned to Jack and Annie. Mary still believes in the impossible. I, I do. I surely do, said Mary. Every night I leave a bit of milk on my windowsill for the she. I leave crumbs at my door. They eat them too. Mary, the birds eat the crumbs, said Augusta. Yes, the birds are hungry also, said Mary. But the she pick over the crumbs first. At twilight, they steal across the river from their hidden hollow hills. Just ask the old fishermen of County Galway. Ask the farmers and nursemaids. Augusta shook her head sadly. Mary, only simple-minded folks still believe in such things, she said. Educated people know what is true and what is not true. No, child, said Mary. They only know what they think is true. Augusta straightened her shoulders. Well, we should be going now, Mary, she said. So could you please tell these children the truth about me now? Yes, said Mary. She turned to Jack and Annie. Do you children have names? Jack smiled. This was the first time today anyone had asked them their names. Yes, 
Our names are Jack and Annie, said Annie. Well, Jack and Annie, thank you for coming to visit me today. I can tell that you are very special, said Mary. What about me, Mary? Augusta asked. Am I special? Yes, child, you are, said Mary. She turned to Jack and Annie. Augusta is special too, but in a different way. How am I different, Mary? asked Augusta. You try very, very hard to be good, and you are very smart, but you, Mary stopped. What, Mary? I, what, said Augusta. You are not happy, said Mary, and that breaks my heart. Augusta's eyes filled with tears. Oh, Augusta, don't cry, said Annie. She reached out to take Augusta's hand, but the girl stepped back. Augusta wiped her eyes. That's silly. I'm happy enough. I know I've never seen the she, and I never will, but I don't care anymore. And if you like these miserable children more than me, Mary, well, that's fine. Augusta ran to the door and opened it. The damp air swept inside as she rushed out of the cottage. Through the open doorway, Jack and Annie could see Augusta's red cape flying behind her.